Hello, I'm John Mulligan, and I'm one of the members here at the Lake Merced Church of Christ. Again, we appreciate you being with us today. And this is the time of our service where we devote about 30 minutes to uh, the teaching of the Bible concerning an important subject of today. And in this session, I want to uh, continue on what Michael Rankin started last week. We decided together to devote two lessons to the issue of race relations. Our desire is not to add to the political dialogue or continue arguments of any kind or take one position or another, but simply to address what the Bible says, and mainly as it directs it towards Christians, how ought we to act and how ought we to treat one another. There is certainly no shortage of political opinions, and uh, the argumentation will continue on and on and on. But if we can shape our understanding and, most importantly, our treatment of each other, that is our ultimate goal. As I listened to Michael's stories last week, uh, I listened to him with great pain. The thought is he is a man of color, was subjected to discrimination, especially as the, the type he described, where when he and his first wife were looking for housing, they determined it might be better that he not be with them simply so that they could find a place that would allow them to rent. That broke my heart to hear. When he shared what his parents had told him from his youth when his parents were African-American had invited a white prominent preacher over to eat, that, that that preacher refused to eat with his parents and simply said he had never eaten with a black person and did not plan to start. And that seemed shocking to me that that could happen, but it wasn't that long ago that it actually did. And this morning, I want to try to build upon how we can be different and how we can act right. And this morning, I'm clearly a white person. I even have a very white spot on my already white skin. And I'm not going to pretend like I've had any of the experiences that Michael has had or that any person of color has had because I haven't. But I've grown up with attitudes that are not right. I've had moments where I've had discriminatory thoughts or thoughts of prejudice that I know are not acceptable. And I've tried to spend some time preparing some thoughts that might help us, especially those of a lighter skin color, operate better in this world. I want to simply entitle the lesson this morning, Rooting Out Racism. Rooting Out Racism. When I was a young boy, uh, growing up on the property we did, I was often given the task by my father of pulling weeds and not getting paid for it. So there was no monetary incentive to do it right. I just simply wanted to get rid of the sight of the weeds so I could be done and go out with my friends and play. Well, the quickest way to get rid of weeds is simply to take a hoe and just scrape it along the top of the ground and the weed will disappear at least for the moment. But to this nine-year-old brain, uh, that seemed good, a good idea, but what would happen is within a few weeks, that weed would be back and I'd be doing it all over again, simply because I did not remove the weed at the root and it grew back. And racist views or prejudicial thoughts will come back if they're not taken out at the root. So I want to try to get at the root of some of our issues today 
Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what we already know to be true. But then to align what we know to be true or to align our actions with what we know to be true. And we're going to talk about five ways at the end and how we can specifically do that. But let's talk for a moment about what we already know to be true. But I want to preface this discussion with a picture that helped connect the truth to my actions. It's a picture that came online not too long ago, a picture of two beautiful African-American girls. One was seated here in a little stroller and smiling. The other was holding a poster boy, board with some words that rang true to me and helped clarify some of my frustrations with understanding uh, the voices of others. The words are simply these. As the other African-American girl holds a sign, we said black lives matter. We never said only black lives matter. We know all lives matter. We just need your help with black lives matter. For black lives are in danger. Why don't you just focus on this picture and that poster board especially. It helped me. It approached me in a way where I could no longer justify attitudes I had or resistance to trying to hear the message that others were trying to communicate. It helped bring about change in my own thinking and hopefully my own actions. Because it represents a cry for people to be treated equally, not just for an academic truth to be acknowledged, but for people to actually be treated equally and not be left behind. So let's focus for just a few moments upon what we already know, and that is this. We already know that all lives matter. Again, we already know that all lives matter. From the teaching of the Bible, here's the truth about race relations. First of all, we are all created equal. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, the writer who most likely is Moses simply says this about the creation. As God speaks, or as Moses describes what God is speaking and doing at that time, it says he made male and female in his image. Both men and women are made in his image. It doesn't describe a scene where different people are made at different times and some not in his image and some are. But basically, human beings are created in the image of God. In the third chapter of Genesis, verse 20, it says, Eve is the mother of all living. And in other places, Adam is described as simply the father of all mankind. All of us have our origins, as the Bible teaches, in Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are made in the image of God. So all of us are made in God's image. Not some of us, not most of us, but all of us are described in the Bible as being made <coughs> in the image of God. The Apostle Paul specifically teaches in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, that from one man, God made all nations. So there's a natural equality of human beings as taught in the Bible, and we know that. That's not in dispute. 
That should not be any point of disagreement that some, as if some are not made in his image. Now, yes, some have been treated that way and still are. But from what the Bible teaches, we are all made equal. And the Bible also says that we are to treat everyone equally. I want to read from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Here James writes, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. Suppose someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, <coughs> and a poor person in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the one who is poor, uh, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Here the problem was not racism as much as it was classism. People in the first century gave special attention and the best seats in the house to those who were wealthy and influential, probably because they figured they could get something from them. And those that were poor and did not or were not perceived as having anything to offer, they were told, hey, you sit in the back or you sit at the feet of me. And James simply says that's not right. That's showing favoritism. And then he says... Have you not discriminated in doing this? The Bible is against discrimination. Christians ought to be against discrimination. We know this is true. We know we're created equal to anyone of another skin color. We're all equal with them. We know, secondly, we are not to discriminate. We know in Jesus Christ... We are all made one in Christ. The Apostle Paul teaches that in chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 28 and 29. In one place he says there's not any, any longer Gentile, that means a non-Jewish person, or a Jewish person. Now there was literally in someone's race or someone's heritage, but as far as their relationship in Christ, they are all now one. So there's no place to go within Christianity to find a separation of races or an inferior race or superior race. There's no place for that anywhere in the Christian faith. And we already know that is true. But our challenge is aligning what we do or sometimes even what we think with what we know. Again, we know that we're all created equal. We know, secondly, that we're all one in Jesus Christ. And third, we are not to discriminate or show favoritism to someone on any level because of what they have or what they look like or especially their skin color. But here's a problem. We can easily fail to practice what we know to be true. We can easily fail to practice what we know to be true. In the book of Galatians, one of the letters in the New Testament, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, 
The Apostle Paul, one of the most prominent early Christians, he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. Inciting his own credibility, he cites a specific instance where he had to confront another apostle and the most well-known apostle at the time, the Apostle Peter. Because the Apostle Peter had showed discrimination. Because he had showed discrimination. In the first century, two main groups ethnically that often were separated were people that were Jewish and simply people that were non-Jewish. And when they came into the relationship called the church, there was a great struggle on interacting with each other because before them coming together as Christians, they didn't really have any association with each other, with each other especially to eat together. But in Acts 10, the apostle Peter taught other people that God does not discriminate at all and everyone is equal and they ought to be treated equally and we ought to interact equally. But apparently in his own personal practice, he did not live according to what he taught. And the Apostle Paul had heard about it. And in Galatians 2, he cites this instance where he had to confront the Apostle Peter to the face, he says. To the face. And he describes having to confront him how that uh, when there are no Jewish people around, he would eat with the non-Jewish people. That when certain prominent Jewish people would come around... He would separate himself from the non-Jewish people that has showed discrimination and would not eat with them. Here it's Apostle pointing out a failure of the most prominent Apostle, the Apostle Peter, which tells us if an Apostle of Jesus Christ, which is simply a hand-chosen missionary, someone with miraculous ability, someone that was commissioned to carry out the teaching of Jesus Christ, if they could fail in this area of racial discrimination, any of us could fail. It's simply our humanity coming out. <clears throat> we also find in the New Testament, the first church failed in the area of racial discrimination. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, it records an ongoing need that was taking place in the area around Jerusalem. There was a famine going on at the time, and sometimes just having enough food to eat was, was what the need was at the time, or what the desire was for others to have enough. And the chapter describes these two groups, a Jewish group of widows and a non-Jewish group of widows. And it says the non-Jewish group of widows, and they're called the Hellenistic widows because they're from a Grecian background, they had to speak up and say, we're being left out in the daily distribution of food. That is, those of a Jewish background were having complete access to the food, but they were being left out. They were being discriminated against at their time. Uh, the scripture simply says they're being overlooked it wasn't like someone was singling them out, saying, hey, you're of this background, we can't have anything to do with you. They were just being overlooked. Which is a lot like what's happening today as far as the complaint behind Black Lives Matter. 
that a whole group of people are simply being overlooked and not cared about as other groups are being cared about. Very similar complaint 2,000 years ago to what is happening today. That is a failure to practice what we know to be true. That is, treat everyone of great value. The third aspect of our failure is simply going back to our founding fathers. In the Declaration of Independence, it is written, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and you know the rest, the pursuit of happiness. But look what it says. It says, all men, which implies all people, are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we embrace this great truth. But it was written by people that owned their own slaves. And our country was founded by people that did not apply this truth to people of another color. And they just saw it as uh, necessary to write this to secure their independence from Britain. And they did not even think that it would apply to people of a dark skin color. So there was a great disconnect between what they knew to be true in their head and what they practiced in their personal lives. Even though they made such a bold statement, they still didn't see the connection of all people being created equal, applying to a certain group of people. That's how easy this failure is. You have the most prominent person among the apostles failing miserably. In the earliest days of Christianity, you have the first church failing miserably and overlooking a group. You have the founding fathers not even seeing their own failure, but yet writing about people being created equal. That's how easy it is to be discriminatory or to treat one group differently and overlook another group. Even in our own spiritual heritage, among Christian churches in America, for years, it was taught that races ought to be segregated. That races ought to be separated. There ought to be white churches, and there ought to be black churches. That's well documented in sermons of famous preachers of the time. That that's just the way it should be. Martin Luther King said this about the segregation of his time. He says, It is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Let me read that again. It is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. So there's a failure within our religious heritage. We've inherited churches that are segregated. Simply because people thought that's the way it ought to be. A separation of the races. But I've also got to admit my own personal failure. It's easy to point out the failure of others. But in this area, I failed myself. A few years ago, my wife and I were looking at some 
letters we'd written back and forth uh, from the time I left to go to college and her staying home. And we were reading those letters and I was talking about my college life and I was talking about my African-American roommate. I had two roommates, one was African-American. Except I did not use the word African-American to describe him. And I freely, jokingly used a whole different word. And when I read those letters recently, I was shocked and cut to the heart that I would have used that type of word and so freely did, even in a joking way. But it made me realize how susceptible I am to thinking of someone in a way I should not. I've caught myself at times watching the news and seeing people of a darker skin color involved in an incident or something be recorded and, and having these opinions that <clears throat> I wonder where did this come from and having a judgmental spirit and a racist attitude and I, I catch that and it just kind of comes up when you, you see things and you have these ideas in your mind. And I know within personal interactions with people of color, I've probably been dismissive or otherwise not been attentive in the same way I would to someone of a lighter skin color. So I myself am included within this group of people who have simply failed to practice what we know to be true. The challenge is, well, what do we do about it? We can bemoan it. We certainly can acknowledge it and apologize for it. And I apologize to anyone that I've ever dismissed because of their skin color. And I seek forgiveness from God for attitudes I've had that have only resided within my own head. But repentance is actually doing something different. It's not enough just in our head to acknowledge, yeah, that was wrong, I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have thought that. What can we do about it? In our remaining moments, I want to talk about five things that are biblical principles that, where we can actually do something different if we're serious about improving our relations with those of another skin color. Here's five ways we can change our actions now. We don't have to go back to school. We don't need an intensive 12-week $1,500 training course to do this. Just five things we can start doing now. Here's number one. <clears throat> Embrace change as our lifestyle. Embrace change as our lifestyle. I want to read from the book of Romans, just briefly, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And I want to see that the Apostle Paul taught that change is what our life is all about as a Christian. So changing racial attitudes and actions ought to be at the forefront. He writes in the 12th chapter, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. <coughs> Excuse me. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and to approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
First, Paul says here, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Here, Christians are being told, don't act like everyone else acts. And that applies to this area of racial attitudes and our actions towards those of a different skin color. He says, don't conform to the way the world operates. That is, you don't conform to racist actions and attitudes. Instead, he says here, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Here he says that you've got to change your mind. It starts in the mind. Bad actions come from bad attitudes. So change has to take place. So now is not the time to simply settle into racist attitudes because we see things on TV or we hear people say things we don't agree with and, and we're taking a political position and we get all defensive about things. Now is not the time for that. Christians are always in the process of changing. We're always a work in progress. So look at it now. This is a time for me to grow. This is a time for me to change things. Unless you've already arrived or I've already arrived and we're interacting with everyone of a different skin color perfectly, there's always room for growth. So accept that this is a time of change because we've already embraced change as our lifestyle. Number two, accept racism as unacceptable. Accept racism as unacceptable. I want to go back to that scene I cited earlier on in Galatians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul had to confront the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Paul says that when I heard about what Peter was doing, that is, he would eat with one group, and when another group came around, he would separate himself because he didn't want to be seen with this group of people. Paul says, when I heard about it, the first thing he did is I confronted him to the face. He didn't say, oh boy, I need to think about this, and maybe Peter has his reasons for separating himself. He didn't do any of that. He says, I confronted him to his face. Again, this is a fellow apostle, someone who also was receiving teaching directly from God. The problem was Peter's life was not aligned to what he knew was true. So Paul confronted him right to the face in front of others because he knew this racism was unacceptable. He didn't tell Peter, hey, you need to sign up for a course to learn how to deal with your unconscious bias. He didn't say, I hope you get better over time. He just confronted him, boom, right to the face because he knew that racism was unacceptable. In fact, it says in Galatians 2, he condemned him for doing so. He didn't say, well, you might be wrong. He said, you're sinning in what you do. This is flat out wrong what you're doing. So he confronts him. Secondly, he condemns exactly what he was doing. And he goes on to say that what you're doing is not in line with the truth of the gospel. He said, what you're doing is not in line with the truth of the gospel. So he took racism and prejudice and he aligned it to the truth of the gospel which tells us it's unacceptable to have racist attitudes and racist actions, which means all of our actions and attitudes need to be scrutinized. 
If someone calls us out on something, we need to pay attention because that's exactly what happened here when the Apostle Paul confronted the Apostle Peter. It was unacceptable. It wasn't a minor sin. It wasn't just something to just let go. He confronted him. Number three, listen, learn, and act on the complaints of people of color. Listen, learn, and act on the complaints of people of color. In Acts chapter 6, when we talked about the widows of a Jewish background or widows from a non-Jewish background uh, receiving food distribution, but yet one group was neglected, that is, those of a non-Jewish background. It says those widows complained about being left out. They cried out for someone to listen to them, someone to hear that, hey, this is not right, we're not even being fed at all, because no one's even paying attention to us. When the apostles of the church heard about that, they instantly addressed the problem. They didn't say, well, that's too bad, or they didn't say, well, I'm sure that's not happening, or maybe you're just <clears throat> seeing something that's not really going on. No, they listened. They listened to the complaints of another ethnic group. And that's perhaps the most important thing we can do right now. We not, may not agree with everything. We may not feel personally responsible for certain things, but we can listen. And when there's people crying out, believing that they're being mistreated by the police or they're being discriminated against at a store or otherwise encountering something being made very difficult for them because of their skin color, even driving and fearing being pulled over because of that skin color, we need to listen. Even if it's not our experience, we need to listen. That's what the apostles did when they heard about the discrimination going on between the widows of two ethnic groups in Acts 6. They listened and they acted upon the complaints of other people. We need to do the same ourselves. Famous quote by John Lewis, who was part of the civil rights movement, who passed away just last week is this. He said, when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up. You have to say something. You have to do something. Again, listen, learn, and act on the complaints of people of color. That is the bare minimum, but that's a powerful step forward. Number four, expand our social circles. Expand our social circles. Last week, Michael Rankins taught a powerful lesson, and much of it based on what Jesus actually did as what we should do. One thing you find when you read the accounts of the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John you find him interacting socially with people on all different levels and primarily with people that other people would not associate with. The people that were most discriminated against are the people that Jesus made a point to be with. 
And not just shake their hand. He would spend all day. He'd go to uh, different get-togethers with them. People of nobility and higher class, he would interact with them as well. You never find him discriminating against some group because he felt he could not be with them. He kept his social circles very broad because he knew that they were all created. Everyone he was with was created in the image of his father. And they were valuable in the eyes of their heavenly father. And he treated them accordingly. You don't find him limiting himself just to people that looked like him or from the same class as him. And our challenge today is to broaden our associations. We might say, well, how do I do that during a time of this pandemic where we're sheltering in place? If I want to do that, how would I do that? Well, one of the good places to start is social media. We may not be physically getting together with people, but most likely one of us or all of us are on some kind of social media platform. We're interacting with people. And I've tried to make it a point to whether it be within my group of Facebook friends uh, or whatever social group it might be, to just be a little more attentive to people of color that are part of those groups and not just overlook them as I might do otherwise, just like those widows were overlooked in Acts 6. Not deliberately discriminated against, but just kind of overlooked as not being as meaningful. For example, uh, I'm part of different Facebook uh, online groups that are related to cars. And the cars that I like uh, are liked by people of all different colors. And there's one group where clearly it's a people of color that are the majority of people within that group. And I'm part of that group. But I've made a point. I want to interact more with people of this group now than I have before because mainly most of my associations have been with this other social media group. So trying to expand my social interaction is what I'm trying to do. It might be meager and i got a long ways to go, but it's something I know I can do now. And as our ability to interact with people physically opens up, hopefully sooner than later, make an attempt to do that. Whether it be choosing where you sit at a restaurant, choosing who you sit down next at some open-air event. Make it a point not to sit next to someone that just shares your same physical features, especially skin color, but someone different. That's a way you can do exactly what Jesus did. Get to know people of different skin colors. There's a wealth to be learned, a wealth of experiences, a wealth of opportunities to expand our own knowledge of other people, let alone treat them as Jesus would treat them. So expand our social circles. That's number four. Number five, make sure people of color know they are welcome. Make sure people of color know they are welcome. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 2, and, and make an application. Here the writer of the book of Hebrews says this, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. 
For by doing so, some people have shown hospital, hospitality I'm sorry, to angels without knowing it. This is a powerful scripture. First of all, he says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. That's a tall order in and of itself. People you know already, he says, you love as brothers and sisters. But then he says, verse 2, do not forget to show hospitality. And hospitality means simply a love of strangers. He says, two strangers. That is show the same loving spirit to people you don't know. And then he gives a powerful reason why. For in doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Here, this scripture teaches that there are angels among us, but we may not even recognize them. Or at least in the past, people have shown kindness to people. They were angelic beings. Now, we don't run with that and go too far and try to figure out someone who might look like an angel. Things like that, that's not the point. The point is we treat everyone as valuable, knowing that someone very well could be a messenger from God. But even if they're not, as Michael taught us last week, everyone we see is someone that Christ died for. Everyone we see, no matter what their skin color, is someone that Jesus died for, and that makes them inherently valuable just as it makes us valuable with our skin color. He says here, do not forget to show hospitality to them. That means in your actions, make them feel welcome, make them feel loved. I've tried to do that in my own meager ways recently. One of the big problems that we've heard about in the news is people of a darker skin color not feeling welcome in certain neighborhoods. Because that neighborhood is made up predominantly of people of one skin color. And they see someone different and they wonder, why are you here? What, what's your purpose? A lot of bad things have happened in connection to that. But where I live, it's predominantly white. But recently I've noticed an African-American man running up and down the street. I made it a point to wave to him because usually he's out running as I'm getting ready to go ride my bike. I don't know him. We haven't shook hands yet, but I'll make a point to wave to him now. And, and I told him recently, hey, I see you out here every day. Good job. He said back, yeah, I'm trying to get my six miles in. Now we see each other a lot. He waves. I wave back. I'm just trying to be friendly, but I'm also trying to communicate that you're welcome here. Don't think that when I look at you, I'm wondering why you're here. That's a little thing I feel I can do. Same thing on the trail where I ride my bike all the time. There's not too many people if they're African-American that are on that trail. I make a point to say hi, and there's one gentleman that he carries a backpack, and I can tell he's got a lot of weight back there, and he's getting his exercise by putting an extra 30 pounds uh, on his back doing that. And I kind of rode by him the other day, going, how much weight you got back there? And he told me, you got 30 pounds. And, just kind of engaging him. So now I wave to him. He waves back to me. Making people of another skin color feel welcome. It's just a little thing that we can do. It's all a part of changing our actions now. We don't have time to wait. We have a responsibility as people that are always having our mind renewed. 
and having our actions changed to start right now where we're at, doing what we know we can do to live out this calling of treating every life as inherently important to God and not overlooking anyone and allowing injustice or any other form of discrimination to occur in their lives because of our indifference. Again, our problem is not what we know is right. We already know that all lives matter, that everyone is created in the image of God. We know that already. Our challenge is living up to what we know and making sure that black lives matter too, that brown lives matter too, that everyone is treated equally in all ways. Do we have a lot of work to do? Absolutely. Our plate is full doing this. But it's our challenge. It's our responsibility. And we cannot call ourselves Christians if we abandon this or think, well, here's why I don't do this, or here's the problem with that group. If we go that direction and try to do a bunch of other things, ignore that. What would the Apostle Paul do if he saw that going on? He would confront us to the face, condemn what we're doing, and tell us we're not living in according to the gospel. Let's work on changing what we know we need to change. And do it in the smallest of interactions. If we see grave, large things, as John Lewis said, we address it. Say something. Do something. Don't just let it go. It's our challenge, our responsibility. As we close, may God bless us to see the situations that we've been involved in where we might have the right, I'm sorry, the wrong attitude and not have the right action. May we recognize those and then may we have the will to change what we're doing or change how we're thinking. And may we expect nothing less of ourselves. This is our responsibility. This is our calling. This is what it means to be a Christian to address every area of our life that needs addressing. And this is the area of the hour that needs our attention. And may we give ourselves to it. Thank you for your attention this morning.